All right. Hey, Vince, how's it going? Hey, good to see you. Yeah, likewise. So what are we doing here? Well, we just hit the recording button, which changes everything, doesn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe we should introduce ourselves to start? That sounds great. Yeah, please. Uh, so, hey, I'm Kevin Iwaki. I'm the founder of Gitcoin, which is a DAO that's focused on funding public goods like open source software. And mm. I am an amateur Buddhist who's been listening to Vince and Buddhist geeks for over a decade uh, and or got connected with Vince a long time ago. More recently, I've just kind of caught up and we've been thinking a little bit about what are the intersections between DAOs and Dharma. And so mm. that's the conversation that we're going to have today. And yeah, Vince, and, and DAO down in the distributed autonom autonomous organization sense, rather than the uh, the DAO that cannot be named. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the yeah, DAO, although, DAO. Although this one maybe is hard to name. Also, we'll get into what that actually is. <laughs> I can't wait for all the DAO jokes that are going to come. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm Vince Horn. I um I co-founded a project called Buddhist Geeks um, in the mid 2000s that really is exploring the evolution of, I'll, I'll use the term Dharma here, uh, in, in the digital age, in the network age. And so our mm -hmm. focus has been on exploring all the ways that Buddhist practice and philosophy uh, are and are not relevant to the, to the current moment and, 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 and to like sort out how to actually relate to to these kind of meditative, these ancient meditative practices in 21st century, you know, in my case, America. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's right. been an interesting project and it's brought us into, it's brought me into contact with conversations about crypto and with crypt, with cryptocurrencies uh, a lot mm. in part because BuddhistGeeks.com was stolen. Uh, it was mm. sniped by some Ukrainian domain pirates in 2012 and, and they, they, I had to buy it back in Bitcoin. So that was my first, um, you know, entry into the world, it. and it was it was a real pain in the ass <laughs> to buy Bitcoin in 2012. That that sounds like a pain, and you're still interested in it, which hopefully means that there's something there. There was um, something there even in 2012. I could tell there was something interesting. Yeah, and so one of the things I'm really excited to talk to you about, Vince, is that I kind of feel like I'm bringing the Tao and a little bit of Dharma, and you're bringing a lot of Dharma yeah. and maybe a little bit of Tao. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And 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 one of the things that that stuck out to me is that you said that what ways are Buddhist practice and philosophy relevant to our current moment? Um, yeah. And that what's interesting to, to me about that is that we've got this practice that has been so rich and growing and evolving for, for decades, for millennia. And mm. now the world is moving increasingly digital. And so the intersection of the Dharma and the digital, I think, is kind of the design space that you've been exploring a lot with BuddhistGeeks.com since you got your domain back. And then, <laughs> and then right. uh, I'm interested in thinking, what, what would be the intersection of decentralized technology, the next epoch of the web, Web3 and, yes. and Dharma? But can you tell right. me a little bit about the Buddhist Geeks digital experience and the ways that you're pioneering there? Well, I, I like that you you mentioned Web three because Buddhist geeks we really ro we rode the wave of Web two. Mm. Um, we we launched in uh, two thousand seven uh, at the sa same year that Facebook and tw uh, no sorry Twitter launched. Facebook was in oh four, um, but mm. we were riding that kind of wave of these sort of socialize socializing technologies, mm. and um, we were representing a tech positive pers millennial perspective on mm. on this inside of a space that's been traditionally very anti-technological -techno mm -hmm. um, and some of that's generational you know the boomers um, right. but some of it is just kind of buddhist <laughs> buddhistness right. buddhist culture like meditation mm. and contemplation you know not sitting on your phone you know distracted <laughs> doom scrolling <laughs> you know? yeah um, or at least being so, mindful when you are <laughs> right at least being mindful of doom scrolling yeah mm. um so you know, for us, a lot of the exploration has been around those emerging technologies. You know, what does it mean to practice in a hyper-connected age, in the networked age? Um, you know, what does it mean to begin to, to take this huge body of science that's developed around, particularly around mindfulness practice and understand mm -hmm. the significance of that in terms of the Buddhist worldview? Um, mm -hmm. Because Buddhism isn't inherently a scientific approach, although mm -hmm. it's often compared. 
Um, so like those are the big kinds of questions. Like what's the relationship between science, psychology, technology, psychedelics in recent years? We've talked a lot about the intersections there as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I've often thought about crypto uh, for many years now about the web 3.0, the decentralized yeah. distributed ledger tech and just mm -hmm. wondering like, what's the potential? How will Dharma yeah. and Buddhism change in its confrontation and connect and, you know, relationship yeah. with these decentralized tech. Techs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's really interesting. And it's just so amazing to, that you've pioneered um, in a space that is, uh, well, Buddhism is in many ways, I think you said anti-technology um, yeah. and that you've kind of pioneered, like have kind of fearlessly gone into, Hey, the world is increasingly digital. Um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it feels like to me, if, if the Dharma is going to be relevant in the digital age, then there's going to be people who have to explore the intersection of those spaces yes. and not just sort of keep them opposed from each other. And right. so I'm almost thinking that like, if you're listening to this right now, you're maybe in one of three camps, you might be in like mm. the anti-technology uh, Luddite slash boomer camp, um, which I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think you said it is very much a generational thing. And then you might be someone who's into technology. Maybe you're a little bit younger in your 20s or 30s, and you've accepted that technology is going to be a big part of your life and you have a, a, a Buddhist practice and are exploring that. Um, and then there's sort of like people who are, let's call it more progressive or really far out in front of what's going on in technology are really getting into crypto these days. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that they're probably more of the pioneers of, of the technology space right now. And so I think how you feel about our conversation probably depends on which one of those camps you're in. And that conveys deep uh, associative, like, how do you feel about technology in, and is it good for the world and should we resist it or should we embrace it and try to ride the wave will probably inform how you view the rest of this conversation that we have mm -hmm. together. And not everyone will will think of it the same way. Yeah, I, I like that framing too, Kevin, because it it reminds me of the Amish, you know, and uh, Kevin mm -hmm. Kelly, um, Kevin Kelly's work on kind of describing how the Amish choose yeah. technology. To me, it's like there's a similar question of here: if we have a, a practice or a worldview that in in explicitly involves morals, virtues, values. Um, these mm -hmm. things that are kind of intangible, but we know them when we see them and they're extremely important to us. Like mm -hmm. when you combine that with technology, uh, the question is really becomes like, how, how does, the, does the use or adoption mm -hmm. or integration of this technology with my values and my practices, the rituals of my life, mm -hmm. like how do those things actually mesh or, or do they, yeah. can they? Mm -hmm. Um, like that's mm -hmm. a really um, interesting question, and like the yeah. Amish have like their way of doing it, um, and Buddhist yeah. geeks probably will have different ways uh, of doing it. People that you know are more tech technological and open and postmodern. They're not, you know, right. It's a it's a different yeah. it's a different religious orientation. Yeah, I think that you know one of the things that I'm re really interested in doing is um, some of my some of my experiences online have been very nihilistic and hopeless. Mm. And I feel a, a sort of sense that we've all learned to connect with each other across the world, but we haven't learned to deeply support each other's values. And it's because mm. we're all, all connected and all have different values. Um, and I think that there's an opportunity, the, the upside I see of the combination of crypto and DAOs is creating these small tight-knit groups that can actually support each other's values and choosing technologies that, uh, that, that allow that to happen and hopefully positively reinforce each other. So, I mean, I think at this point, maybe just diving into the intersection of where we see alignment between crypto and, mm -hmm. and the Dharma to me is, is sort of interesting. And, yes. and for me, it's, it's this idea of a decentralized movement that is iterative and forkable by nature that I see on both sides. So you've got open source technologies that are um, being developed in a decentralized way in the crypto space and sort of an iterative evolutionary game uh, in these crypto ecosystems. And then I also see in the, the, the Dharma space, a decentralized movement of, of people who are exploring the frontiers of, of the Dharma, Buddhist practice 
and also the creation of organizations that can be vessels for the Dharma and, and Buddhist practice. And in a lot of ways, there's, I think, a rejection of authority in both camps and maybe an evolution of, of those cultures that is happening in parallel. And this, the combining thread that I think is really interesting is that in, in crypto, we're really focused on economic sovereignty, choosing technology that is open source and can be forked and has our values at heart. Uh, to me, is part of economic sovereignty and financial sovereignty. And when I think mm. about Buddhism, I think it's I think a lot about sovereignty of the spirit and and of the mind. And and those are the connective threads that I see between the two movements. I'd be curious mm. from your mm. side of the the Dharma Dao looking glass. What do you think, Vince? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, we're and and particularly where the overlaps uh, or the potential mm. alignments. Yeah. Um, in a general way, I do see both of them as being, at least in this current moment and where we are, representing a um, a kind of divergence from the status quo, status mm -hmm. quo financial economic systems, mm -hmm. and then status quo um, right. kind of view of what we are as human beings and what makes us mm -hmm. happy. Um, mm -hmm. And so in that way, they're both kind of rebellious uh, right. ideologies, you know, mm -hmm. or kind of movements. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's still true of Buddhism, although Buddhism has been more integrated and incorporated into the American culture. Yeah. Um, it's been around for longer thing. also. It's, so. it's been around for much yeah. longer. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. And, 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 and for that reason, I think there is a lot more uh, proprietary um, kind of, attitudes that i see in the buddhist world like there yes yeah. there is there are these kind of figures who are kind of uh, iconoclasts and mm. who kind of break with tradition and do things differently and that in, mm -hmm. in some ways the history of buddhism is a history of those iconoclasts yeah um, well and, and especially oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i was gonna say especially no, for us in the west where buddhism is a min is a minority religion um sure. as opposed to in asia where it may be a majority majority thing i think a lot of our Listeners, yes. maybe in the Western Hemisphere. I'm sorry, I didn't mean right. to cut you off. Go ahead. Vince. No, no, that's totally yeah. true, and that's why I said, like here, like in in this context, it's rebellious um, mm. or we or weird to be like a Buddhist practitioner. Um, yeah, but like in yeah, like you said, in Asia, it would be just normal. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so there, I think there's there is, however, more religious hierarchy and um, more traditional authority stuff I, I see going on in the Dharma Buddhist worlds mm -hmm. than, than in the crypto world. Um, yeah. And that said, yeah, I see there, there is a spirit, very much a spirit in the Buddhist world uh, of open sourcing. I remember when I first started mm -hmm. to engage with like Buddhist texts and meditation manuals and stuff, I'd get all these little tiny books uh, that were self-published by these monasteries in Burma and mm -hmm. Thailand. And yeah. they would always share, self-publish and share freely all of their like mm -hmm. meditation manuals. And I was like, this is such mm -hmm. great stuff and it's available freely and it's offered freely with the spirit yeah. of openness. So the mm -hmm. spirit is there, but the actual hierarchies and the proprietary t secret teachings, like there's a lot mm -hmm. of stuff, uh, accretions, you know, kind of accretions on the tradition that are not very open at all. Um, mm -hmm. It, it, yeah. So, so it, it's kind of a mixed bag for me on that point. Um, uh, where else is there convergence? Uh, I think you're right about sovereignty. I, I'd use the, I'd use the, a slightly different frame, but I think it's similar, like liberation. Mm -hmm. um, that there's an interest in the crypto world on a kind of uh, financial, uh, in a kind of right. economic liberation from totally. centralized um, systems, systems, money, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, and and in Buddhism, there's sort of a similar drive to become free, but not of systems, but of the ego, of the self, like of, mm -hmm. of this kind of mistaken idea of who we are. Uh, mm -hmm. So there is a kind of liberation there as well of like letting go of this old kind of mm -hmm. complex that doesn't serve us anymore, that's mm -hmm. overly centralized and self-referential. Right. <laughs> um, I think there's some general similarities. Yeah, that I see yeah. there. Yeah, it's sort of interesting to pull that thread of rebellion and evolution, mm. the relationship between um, generations evolving over time, 
And in the open source nature of technology versus the proprietary nature of technology, and then the free giving of the of the Dharma, uh, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, to me, is is the giving of a value of a, of a public good, um, something mm. that's good for the the receiver, um, and mm. and is is similar to me as as what we see in in open source software, the evolution of those networks, and so yes. Um, I guess like another way to thread the needle, Vincent, it, right, I think up until now, we've been talking about the intersection of these two spaces abstractly would be asked a little bit more of a pointed question, which is what if we took Dharma and DAOs and we put them together? What if one was to form a Sangha DAO? Uh, so it, in the crypto space, it's taken as an article of faith that a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, uh, which mm. is just basically a new way of incorporating and connecting people uh, is is going to replace the corporation, is going to replace mm-hmm. foundations. And the reason for that is that uh, it's a new way of financing an organization via smart contracts and managing the interests of all members of the organization, possibly using tokens. And um, I'd encourage our, the audience to think about tokens in the abstract and not the shilly 2017 ICO boom, which were also tokens, but it was a different evolutionary thrust towards, mm. I think, more greed than values-oriented communities. And right. so there's there's this idea of digital organizations are going to be the new way that we associate with each other online. And what's cool about them is that they're completely global in jurisdiction. So right. um, if we were to incorporate a Sangha in Colorado, where I'm from, uh, or on the East Coast, where you're from, if you're participating from across the world, you don't have as many property rights or you know rights to, to if you would have to fly to America to sue us. Um, and then also wait in through our complicated and sometimes messed up court system. Whereas using a digital organization, it's quite easy to arbitrate a dispute via a smart contract um, that has rules for how disputes happen. And one of the most exciting things about a smart contract-based DAO is that there's this primitive of a rage quit or a fork where I can take my share of the DAO and I can just I can take my ball and I can go home at any time. And so it enables that sort of rapid evolution via via forkability. And that's th- these are all sort of the things that are a reason why people in the crypto space, I think, take the idea that DAOs are going to be the future of human organization to the next level and experiment with actually making their organizations DAO, DAOs. Um, I'm curious f- for you, from the other side, side of the DAO Dharma looking glass, Vince, um, and your experimentations with with digital Dharma with Buddhist geeks, how does how does that sound to you? What do you think the opportunities there are? What are the threats? And are we really going to bring up some strange conversations by trying to combine economic liberation from uh, w- with with the Dharma? What is the, what is the <laughs> yeah, relationship God, that I we're exploring not. there? Gosh, yeah. I, I really I really see there's a potential integration there. Um, you know, Shin, mm-hmm. Shinzen Young, who's one of my favorite meditation teachers, he's a Westerner who's trained in Japan, um, mm-hmm. in Japanese monasteries. He, um, he talks about the difference between happiness that's dependent on conditions mm. and happiness that's independent of conditions or unconditional okay. happiness. And Buddhism okay. traditionally is primarily focused on the happiness, which is independent of conditions. It's like, can right. you discover some freedom that's durable yeah. enough that it doesn't isn't impacted by any anything? Right. Do you think there's a funnel there where basically if enough people achieve economic liberation, they've got happiness that's dependent on their situations, right. then they're in a place of privilege where they can discover the happiness independent of con- conditions. There's, so there's like a funnel there. I think it ten- it tends to work that way. Yeah. When people mm-hmm. uh, get everything they want conditionally and they're still unhappy, then they start to go, wait, what's wrong? <laughs> And and mm-hmm. they start to kind of get into like, yeah. what, what is the source of this uh, fundamental sure. dissatisfaction that I yeah. have with with things, no matter how but, things are going? But by, by the way, uh, technology founder, CEO here to report for dissatisfaction <laughs> when you achieve all material success. Yeah, <laughs> CEOs have to. guilty over here. <laughs> yeah, no, C- CEOs are the worst. We're the worst yeah. because we're the most dissatisfied that we have to do something about it. Yeah, tell me yeah, about it's, it. It's true. Um, so 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 yeah so there's this sort of fu- fundamental dissatisfaction mm-hmm. um i i want to i mean maybe just dig- digress for a second so sure. so there's the happiness dependent of, on conditions and, and independent to me if you bring them together it's ideal 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, get your needs met and be okay with things as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get uh, and and be to me that's just the most resilient combination. Mm-hmm. Um, Buddhism traditionally was a monastic evolved in a monastic environment where people were dropping out of society and they were trying to mm-hmm. live off of very little. Um, so they were trying to become independent of the social systems and find this mm-hmm. happiness independent of conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, there's also a parallel here where I think the opportunity that I see that's really exciting is for alternative communities mm-hmm. to emerge, like alternative mm-hmm. living um, where people are buying into a different conception of what the good life means and have ways to actualize that using their mm-hmm. technology. Yeah, and with peer support, a shelling point uh, for the hopeful, for people who want to create a reinforcing cycle uh, between dependent happiness and independent happiness and discover it together, but in, yeah. in a digital first way, I think. Yeah, is, yeah, and maybe that, that leads, to, yeah, digital first, because that's what everyone can access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, um, yes, I see that as a we, potential. Oh yeah. And I mean, like, I have to say that I'm extremely privileged to be here in Boulder, Colorado and to be a technology entrepreneur and to have access to this technology and to your podcast, Vince, I've been listening for a decade. I think it's really incredible what you've done to make the Dharma accessible. Um, And the internet could do in order to bring that message to people who are less privileged and need a source of hope in a, in a kind of fucked up world. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, to me, the highest hope that I have for something like this idea would be that people are able to use DAOs to mm-hmm. have genuine alternate social experimentation and, yeah. and the, the data of which could be rolled back into how other people, other networks or communities choose to live, you know, that there's some mm-hmm. sharing of, of wisdom, um, right. borderless open sharing of wisdom across networks. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the Buddhist framework, which includes a lot of different things, it, it mm-hmm. is a really interesting way to live for some folks and, mm-hmm. um, and to actually have economics or governance mm-hmm. that is intentionally tied to that or integrated. I think that's really exciting. I also see that as the biggest, that's probably the biggest hurdle or challenge in this whole thing is how mm-hmm. do you actually self govern well? Mm-hmm. And how do you deal yeah. with the, the, the influx of value, you know, and the growing of value and the sharing of value, um, yeah. you know, in ways yeah. that people just don't become total assholes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or monopolize it for themselves. Um, right. I think is a question. I eat well. total assholes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I also think there's a point of opportunity here where as humanity increasingly moves online, we used to be in these local communities that were driven by our, where we went to church uh, or where mm-hmm. we went to school and what our workplace was. And now the world is completely being indexed online where it's where, uh, it, where a lot of the connections that you make are based off of your interests or your hobbies or your right. world beliefs. And, but it allows us to completely aggregate online. And so the great mm-hmm. potential I see of what you pioneered Vince with, with digital Dharma is that there are probably budding Buddhists all over the world that want to have access to the Dharma um, and need a way to participate in not just media about the Dharma, but all those other things you said, uh, yeah. governance, Community economics, engagement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, in go. a much deeper way. And the fiat banking system does, does not allow, uh, allow that. Um, and I think that a, a Buddhist Sangha Dao could be a shelling point for these people to find each other and to build the the social relationships, the culture, and, you know, a, a, it just sort of a community around these common interests. And it could be yeah. a bigger thing than, and, 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 you know, big is not always the metric of, of success and we should be careful about that, but it, it could right. be a, a bigger network than any local Sangha could be because the internet sure. indexes all the way across the world. And that does not mean it's better. And I want to be very careful uh, about saying yeah, that. The long but Buddhist it, tale is not necessarily better, but <laughs> it's <yeah>. bigger. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so, you know, you know, in what other ways do you think a Sangha yeah. Dao or a, a ne- maybe a network of Sangha Dao's, if all of these people that show up have slightly different values and want to fork away from each other? Right, you know, right, right. And right. what other ways in your mind, mind's eye do you, do you see these two concepts combining, Vince? Yeah, I mean, so, 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 so to me, the, the, one of the number one on the ground opportunities for, 
for communities of practice and organizations uh, is that the tech typically just sucks. Like our technology, mm -hmm. like we're behind. Right. And um, in terms of adoption, in terms of bleeding edge technology, just in terms of using the tools that are even available right now. Mm -hmm. And um, and so to me, there's a huge opportunity for a Sangha DAO or multiple DAOs mm -hmm. to create sort of software or platforms or you know, create the technological infrastructure to support the, the, the mm -hmm. flourishing of communities that are operating in this 21st century, you know, environment. Sure. Yeah. Right. Like that, that's the, that's the big opportunity mm -hmm. that I could see Buddhist organizers and community leaders like yeah. being interested in something like this for it's like, Oh, like sure. we've just got all these tools we're using and we have to like, put them together and spend a ton of money on proprietary software. Like what if yeah. there was something that was built for us, like mm -hmm. specifically for the purposes of that we tend to retreat centers and monasteries and places like that yeah. tend to do things, even virtual communities like Buddhist geeks, mm -hmm. how do we like build software for those people, for those groups? And then, mm -hmm. you know, it's a no brainer, you know, that there's a huge opportunity there to upgrade just on the technological mm -hmm. front. So cool. that's, that's one thing that I see that's like just, it, it make it, it it goes beyond the ideology and like the mm -hmm. kind of philosophy of this is just like hey we need better we need better tech mm -hmm. that's more right. values aligned right exactly and that's and um, then if you had that people would be people would adopt that there's no question in my mind yeah for sure yeah i mean i think the one thing that i think about when it comes to running online communities is that yeah, sometimes the tech is bad and sometimes it's rent seeking but at the end of the day we all put up with facebook and we put up with twitter cuz that's what yeah. everyone else is putting up with. But there's a real mm -hmm. opportunity that I see with crypto and I, and um, in in basically changing the relationship of 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 money to these online communities. And yes. the example that I'll just tee off because I think it's a, a fun way to to start talking about the funding of the Dharma um, yeah. is is that um, my startup Gitcoin just recently re released an NFT that was designed to fund open source software that raised $2.2 million for funding open source. Um, and That's great. Yeah, and, and, and I was really encouraged by that experiment to see how much people in the community cared about buying into culture and buying into mm. the culture of open source software. Um, mm. and, and especially since you know, this, was all, this is all just about funding public goods. Open source software is really special because it creates $500 billion per year in economic value, and there's no business model for it. So there, you've got dozens of people that are just working on it for free nights and weekends. And what if we could close that asymmetry between value created and value captured for this public good, something that's available for free online? And I'm wondering if, you know, mm -hmm. with my experiment with Moonshot Bots, if like if the Dharma isn't also a public good, and if we could fund a community of Dharma practitioners yeah. using NFTs or using, you know, actually after all with crypto, we can program our values into our money. And that means we can create monetary systems that better support our value. And, and so mm -hmm. I guess been, to volley it back to you, I don't see it so much as minimizing the pain in the ass of a bad UX, but I think it's about finding new areas where crypto can provide a ton of value to the Dharma that are not mm -hmm. enabled by the existing web two system. And maybe like yes. an NFT auction, could be it if we think that a dharma is a public good just like open source software. Yeah, okay, I get what you're saying and and to yeah. me it's like it, it, to me it's a kind of a both and scenario because yeah. uh, just so happens that Buddhists are using really old and outdated tech and so mm. we, you know in a way you can leapfrog the, the one they hate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You, yeah. you can you know on the one hand you can offer something that's just conventionally better and then on top of that there's this whole added yeah. dimension of programmable values. You know, and yeah. that's just takes it to another level. And I think mm. there's some really big questions and deep questions that have to be answered about, you know, what is enlightened governance, self-governance look like? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it? Uh, Buddhism doesn't have a whole lot to offer that question, actually. It's that's really? not been the main focus of, of, of Buddhist philosophical inquiry. It's mm -hmm. been more about consciousness and the nature of mm -hmm. consciousness rather than uh, the nature of how we organize uh, in society, mm -hmm. you know, the West right. Western religious traditions focus on that a heck of a lot more. Mm. Um, so I think there's, 
some big questions there, like what would what would governance even look like from a, a, an enlightened perspective? It might not be mm. Buddhist. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it might be more of like a Western, you know, um, something come coming together with with a Buddhist mm. attitude. So I think there's yeah. there's some questions there about uh, governance, and then yeah, like you said, value in terms of something that can convert to cash value. You know that mm. that kind of value. How do you what does it look like to bring the value of generosity, for instance, into mm -hmm. a, into an economic system mm -hmm. uh, and program general, how do you, how would you program generosity yeah. or compassion into the system? Yeah. Um, like that's to I, me, that's a really I, big question. Sure. That's yeah. a cultural thing as much as it is a yeah. foundational distributed ledger kind of thing. And, yes. you know, one of the things that I see uh, as maybe an opportunity is that mm. we don't have to have one answer to all of these questions. Uh, mm. It may be a Sangha DAO is better off as a network of Sangha DAOs where it's easy to fork. And if you disagree with how someone is programming their culture or their values, right. uh, then right. you can fork it away and, and create something better is, is the, the possibility of open source software and crypto. Yeah, because th there's something here. One of the challenges that I would see with the Sangha DAO is having a commu communities come together where there's mm -hmm. a sh enough of a shared uh, agreement around how to be in community together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, that's how, yeah. That's how do you deal with that in the tech world? Because it seems like there's maybe a little less challenge. Yeah, uh, well, dealing with that crowd. Perhaps. Well, in the in the Web two technology world, we solve it with twenty page employment agreements that uh -huh. you yeah. take it or leave it, and you can't fork. Yes. Um, in the crypto world, we solve it by association with the DAO uh, via smart contract, in which you probably yeah. maybe stake some tokens, and then if it's not working out, then you can take your share of tokens back and and right. and you can leave them. And so that forkability and the ease of of that social contract is is sort of a feature in the mm -hmm. crypto world, not a bug. Right. Right, but, right. You, you can move freely without a huge mm -hmm. cost but, in between. And I think that it's important that there's like enough value of a shared foundation there that it's worth even going through the pain in the butt of setting up MetaMask yeah. and getting tokens to even do it. Yeah. And the opportunity right. that I see is is uh, is basically like fundraising maybe for digital communities, which I'm keen to explore the relationship between the Dharma and, and money and how that would transform uh, yeah. here. But also the opportunity to create a shared, like a shared shelling point in social culture around just the idea that Buddhism is Buddhism is a good thing, and we want to have digitally native Buddhism. Like that shelling point, I think uh, creates creates maybe an opportunity to spread more dharma, to create more economic liberation, so that people can uh, be more dharma like, uh, consume the dharma. Going down that funnel that we talked about at the top of the episode to dependent happiness and then independent yeah. happiness, pulling more people around that, I think is like, how is a broad enough base of support? And then you can have all yeah. these like forked sub communities that have their own governance right. structures or things that they're pursuing on top of the network of networks. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think what you're probably describing is just the realistic way that networks evolve. Yeah, <laughs> um, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you you have a better vantage point on that in the mm -hmm. in the crypto space than I do. But um, I see that happening in cultures of people naturally. Like people will get together. There's enough of a shared interest that they want to talk about some possibility or potential. Like, what if yeah. we upgraded our you know and, and used a crypto network as the basis for our whatever? It's like, oh my yeah. gosh. But then you start getting into it. It's like, well, who should who should be able to make the calls? How do we make the decisions? You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of those questions about like the, the actual nitty gritty of how does it work yeah. and, and the effort that is required <laughs> to make it work, like, yeah. that's where people get contentious. Yeah. And, and it's, they're kind of gumption traps in, in a lot of ways too. So making them as painless as possible, I think uh -huh. is, yeah. is, um, but, but the thing, I, the thread I really want to pull with you, Vince, and I'm yeah. so glad we're getting deep on this is what's the relationship between money and the Dharma. So basically right. we need to have these vessels, these imperfect vessels that are going to carry Dharma forward right. in the future. They need to be funded just as a matter of being in this world. And, and, you know, um, one of the things that crypto is really good at is funding, funding things in, in novel ways. And so what opportunities are there to keep what's working about how Dharma organizations are funded, but maybe open up new opportunities Mm -hmm. to do it in a more 
well, in a, in a way that matches our values or is, is easier or better in some way. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is where I feel like I'm, I'm not really clear about that, to be honest, mm. like what the, what the real potentials are. Um, because, because of the limits of my own knowledge of the technology, um, yeah. you know, I think there's, there's some like well, real deep brain work that needs to happen where people, you know, programmers yeah. and contemplatives and, you know, like are able to kind of wrestle with that, with the, with the challenge, the opportunity. Totally. Yeah. I sense well, they're there. I sense that there's possibilities, uh, but I'm not sure what they specifically would be. Like, are there examples that you see coming out sure. of the crypto space that like around funding, like alternative funding models that yeah. you're excited about? Yeah, I think so. And then, you know, like just so that you understand where I'm coming from, our mission at Gitcoin right. is to fund open source software. We believe that's a yeah. public good, something that's good for the world on its face that you don't have to purchase to consume. And I see a lot of thing, a lot of similarities with the Dharma. Uh, yes. in education of the Dharma being a public good that we want to make sure gets in the hands of more people, becomes less of a minority way of doing things and more, uh, that more people can discover because, uh, it is, because it is a public good. And so just to put a point on my right. question, I guess the, the, you know, if, if we were able, we just did a $2.2 .2 million NFT sale for Gitcoin to fund open source. Like what if we could raise $2 million to give more people access to Buddhism? Uh, right. and, and just have that out there in a DAO where right. people can show up to the DAO and volunteer to create more access to Buddhism in their local communities. What would that, how would that change the way Buddhism is, is made accessible to, to the world? And in what ways does that offer opportunities and threats? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's really hard for me to even think of a, of, of a similar type of thing that's happened in the past, uh, with yeah. Buddhism, because uh it's just been a very under in some ways an under-resourced uh, mm -hmm. com uh comparatively but, but but what if we could change all that vince You're right no so it's interesting to consider that so yeah or, I, I or think, am i am i just thinking about it wrong like should no, do you want to no, shake me and say right. kevin stop trying to entrepreneur buddhism like you know is 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 it like should i unask the question <laughs> no i don't think so i i think uh for for me, one of the the core questions about okay, so if 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 Buddhist geeks' main purpose is evolving Dharma, which it is, and Dharma is another word for mm -hmm. truth. Yeah. So this is like we're evolving truth. <laughs> okay, what does mm -hmm. that mean? Uh, to me, it means it has to happen at every level. Like that evolution mm -hmm. is happening at every level mm -hmm. that we're operating, and that it right. has to include the organizational level it has to include the economic level the level mm -hmm. where there's all these kind of physical things in space that are you know it's relating to each other in systems mm -hmm. like those things have to be related to uh mm -hmm. for th those are expressions as well as whatever truth we think mm -hmm. we have you know mm -hmm. uh we, we we realize something and then we express it in the world you know, mm -hmm. we, and we express it through how we walk and we talk, but also through what, what, what we choose to spend our time on, what we build, what we mm -hmm. leave behind, where we leave our right. money. You know, it's like, so mm -hmm. to me, evolving Dharma is something that like it changes yeah. because of all the people that are participating in it, how like the choices yeah. that they make and where they put their time and energy. And if you, if you had a way to open up more resources and, and give people a better way of coordinating those resources which is what i yeah. partially hear in this and to do yeah. it together in a way where there there's some collective choice making rather mm -hmm. than just kind of top down uh you know some one person deciding i mm -hmm. think that would create a lot of flourishing and resilience in the larger mm -hmm. ecosystem that mm -hmm. that buddhism operates in which is the human ecosystem. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what I heard from you is that like, it's this kind of like evolution of the Dharma is something that has to happen all the way up and down the stack. It has to happen yes. at a basic survival level at yeah. a, a sort of like creation of institutions, creation of culture, um, art, music, everything, art, music, uh, like intellectual yeah. exploration, cultural exploration. Yeah. And so up and down the stack, there's, and the similarities that I see between the two spaces are a rejection of the status quo 
uh, for right. culture, organizations, art, right. economics, um, yes. and intellectual environment. And then there's this there's this question of well, what's next? I just rejected the main way that people do this. What is the way yeah. that I am exploring this design space? And I think that it's yes. it's good to acknowledge that we you know maybe are still evolving our exploration of what is good up and down uh, up and down the stack. And I think that the the opportunity that I see in 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 the Ethereum ecosystem is taking thousands of software engineers and getting them to work on public goods and open source instead of their corporate job uh, at like J.P. Morgan right. or whatever. Right. And so right. maybe there's a parallel opportunity here where you know there's a subset of people who really love the Dharma and creating culture and art. An experience for it, but their their means don't allow them to spend eighty percent of their time on it, as opposed to twenty percent of their time, and creating sort of a shelling point where you're where you're pulling more people into living that as the majority of their day instead of the minority of the day is is mm-hmm. perhaps where I see an opportunity. But I have to acknowledge yeah. that as we explore up and down the stack, there will be many many failed experiments along uh, along the way as we try to figure that out because it's easier to find that something doesn't work, that, that something is, is, is new and um, accelerating that, uh, that evolution and that iteration, mm-hmm. I think is the great opportunity that is in my mind's eye right now. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. As, and as you're, sh- as you're sharing on that, Kevin, I'm thinking too about things that would be possible there that, that aren't possible now, for instance, mm-hmm. the whole question of lineage in the Buddhist world, like mm-hmm. who, who is authorized to teach or to do yeah. what? Um, this yeah. is a huge question. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in a lineage. Uh, I'm in two lineages, one of whom has mm-hmm. this very clear and public lineage that you can trace and see the public history of. The other one is contentious. Yeah. And um, and so it, this is always happens. What, what if we could use like, you know, you could use an NFT or, you know, a token that's on a blockchain to represent lineage. You know, you the legitimacy see, to teach in a certain tradition yeah, is something that right. you need the, to track the providence of and not the yeah. word of mouth. You, you've yeah. unlocked your insight meditation. You're a cheat teacher badge. Here it is on the, on the blockchain. Um, like there's something there around the transparency or background, like making tra- explicit what, what is often a very ch- implicit and challenging kind of conversation around lineage. Also finances, making... T- things transparent, uh, mm-hmm. more open, more easily, I think would be a huge opportunity for Dharmic organizations mm-hmm. uh, and making yeah. their governance open and transparent. Like you can see what choices have been made, who's saying what, you know, instead of it being something that happens behind closed doors. I see these technologies as inherently kind of in, in incentivizing that more openness and transparency. So that yeah. to me, that's only good when it comes to Buddhism. Right. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I really like it am interested to dive in on this on this this point with you because as you were talking, I'm just a very visual person and I and I Googled um Buddhist lineage it just to oh, get gosh, sort of a visual visual of some of the forks or people's interpretations of what the forks are <laughs> over time. And you know, I'm not saying I'm not endorsing any of these ones that I just pulled up and I'm sharing my screen with you, but I, I will call right. out that the forking of open source software in yes. many ways nice resembles visually the buddhist the the forkability of the the dharma as various practitioners yes. have created their own uh their own views of it and the other, the last thing that it reminds me of is the idea of this tree of life um right with natural selection in which we are just kind of like infinitely forking yes. evolution uh, over time and and there's just so much biomimicry, I think, in in both of these these things. When you really bake forkability and yes. and selection into into each of them, and so there's there's something yes. deep and powerful that I cannot put my my I cannot bring to words yes. uh, in these metaphors. I think it's beautiful, and it's I think that's it's one of the main thing that's things that are missing right now in the current contemporary Buddhist ecology is there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot more closeness Ooh. between, um, between organizations and communities and people like there's not, mm-hmm. they're not open channels. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, I think, so maybe introducing the idea of a, of a rage quit functionality or a fork into Buddhist communities could create yeah, more open cause, experimentation. Cause, 
Because traditionally, yeah, traditionally in Buddhism, a fork is considered a very bad thing. Like right. if you if you fork with the tradition, you're 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 going to end up in some bad situation. Yeah. But to me, like what you're saying, the fork ability pr- it's cheap, provides it's freedom. Yeah, yeah, right. And you don't have to like implode. Your community doesn't have to implode and spend ten years, you know, with everyone fighting mm-hmm. for power. You could just yeah, go like, go do your thing. That's no, cool. We forked. Like they they live their <laughs> lives. We live our lives. We're going to govern it this way. We're going to yeah. teach this specific idea. Um, yeah. And what I love about that is that when you reduce the cost to fork, you enable more novel experimentation yes. of the design space. And by the way, the design space is huge because Dharma is this massively important uh, thing that has been passed down for generations. And it's now entering this digital age in which things are upside down and Facebook owns everything. And uh, and we're not sure how we relate to each other online. And so the opportunities for exploration in this design space are huge. If we just choose to do it, we spend our time on it and we can it, and we can explore it fast enough that it actually becomes impactful mm. for enough people. Yeah. Yep. So where, where does that leave us? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I was about to ask you how much more time you had, but um, uh, yeah. if we have five minutes. or 10 more minutes, I'd love to ask you about your exploration of the Lotus network. And basically, there are some people who are exploring this design space before. And can you tell yes. us what you know or remember about them? Yeah. So I, I was for a brief time. This was in 2017, which you mentioned was the big ICO boom. Mm-hmm. So lots of people were raising just ridiculous amounts of money R- at this time. RIP, RIP. Yeah. Yes. A different and, fork um, of the Ethereum community. And I think the community that we would want to create with the Sangha DAO, but a worthwhile exploration, nevertheless. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Um, so there was a, there was a group of programmers that were based in Thailand Mm -hmm. and they were working on a, uh, basically had published a white paper called Lotos network, L O T O S. Mm -hmm. And, um, I read it and it was, uh, really a kind of a similar idea of creating a kind of, uh, uh, a DAO based project that would create software for Buddhist communities so that they could essentially, Mm -hmm. um, offer their stuff in the digital age more natively. Mm. And um, I just started talking to those folks because I, I wanted to support the idea. I thought that had a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. And we were just having kind of very early stage kind of ideation conversations. That project didn't end up going anywhere. Uh, it, spun, mm-hmm. it spun down. Um, and, and until you contacted me, <laughs> Uh, a few months ago, like I hadn't really been thinking about it in a serious way, mm-hmm. but, but I think they laid some of the early groundwork in terms of just thinking about this, like thinking about the space of bringing Buddhism onto the blockchain would be like one kind of, uh, I guess, kind of cute way of putting it, but it's not exactly right. accurate. Um, yeah. but, but that'd the, be just the, the whole notion the way of, yeah, of that'd be the clickbaity, yeah. which is, which is which worked for some of the early, you know, yeah. uh, marketing they got for, for around the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, right. beyond that, they, they, I, as far as I understand, they let the project go. And mm-hmm. so there's still this just open opportunity to like kind of experiment and play here. And, um, right. uh, yeah, I'm curious, you know, what, yeah, what could totally. be possible? Yeah. And, and then, you know, I think we talked about the, the Lotus network, uh, and their exploration of the space. And I have to admit that, uh, as we're exploring people who have, who've have looked into this space before, and I'm a 10 year listener of Buddhist geeks. I have to admit that I was very sad Vince that uh crypto mind did not get more than one or two episodes. Cause I think yeah. I was listener number one in the front row with a big number, like, please keep it going fan. So, uh, your sure, listener number one have been inspiring to me as well. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Vin. I appreciate that. I mean, c- crypto is a weird, it's hard to talk about with a Buddhist, with a Buddhist audience. That's it, which mm. is, generally true because p- people mostly see the mainstream news of like, you yeah. know, they, they see a lot of speculation, a lot of, you know, yeah. traditional mindset, you know, it, around these things, like just looking at it as a financial asset. Yeah. Well, if you look at it as a sort of a tree of life, they're looking at different forks than I think the ones that yeah. you and I are consuming maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good way of looking. I, I prefer that broader view and to me, mm. it's like there's so much. There is so much potential yeah. here. We've got to pick this idea up and keep keep walking with it. Yeah, yeah. and which actually sort of brings us to a, a way that you and I want to enable that. Um, yeah, basically throughout the last several months of of exploring the crypto community, I have discovered 
tens of people that are interested in exploring what it would be like to create a Sangha DAO. And uh -huh. we're all collaborating in a Telegram group. The idea is just to get enough like-minded people that see potential here into a group. And then to maybe if, if we decide that we want to co-create something that looks like a Sangha DAO. But the first initial mm. point is creating a shelling point where people can collaborate, share these ideas, talk about these ideas, explore the design space, and mm. maybe fork away from each other if they don't if they don't agree with each other. So um, mm -hmm. if anyone out there listening wants to go to bit.ly slash Sangha DAO, we've got a telegram group where there's uh, tens of us that are that are coordinating, and maybe eventually that'll be hundreds, and maybe eventually thousands of people trying to explore what DAOs and Dharma look like together. So if you go to bit.ly slash Sangha DAO, that's where we're all hanging out and, and hope to see some of the listeners out there come join us. Yeah. And th this is exciting because there, I know in the Buddhist Geeks network, there are a lot of folks who have technical backgrounds. Mm. And I, I know for sure in your community, that's, that's pretty much everybody. Yeah. Um, so it's exciting to consider, you know, if you're listening to this and this is exciting to you, the space, and you want to kind of be on the ground floor, you know, uh, mm. it's there, there is, there's an opportunity to do that. And, and Kevin, you're so, I mean, the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you too, is you're so well connected in the crypto world, you know, you're mm. on the ground, like, you know, what's happening. You're, you know, right. and there, there really is a lot of potential, like for something actual here. It's mm -hmm. not just uh theoretical, like yeah. ex mental masturbation. This is like a real potential. Yeah, so, well, it's that is that too. Highlight that. But, there, but there's also it, it could be both. Why not both? <laughs> it, and and you know what I gotta say is like with all decentralized movements, um, one of the blessings and the curse is is that uh, it's it's not up it's not up to it's not up to us. It's about a community of people coming together and finding value and exploring this design yeah. space. And I I don't know for sure that we'll discover something and something will come of it, but it's possible that we will. And I think that the mission of getting the Dharma into the hands of more people and allowing them to deeply integrate, or sorry, not integrate, but participate in the Dharma, not just media, but also the economics and governance of, of, mm. of Sanghas and Dharmic institutions through the internet could unleash a lot of good on the world. And so I think the juice is worth the squeeze and at least trying. Um, Vince, I just got to end by saying uh, you're an inspiration to me, Buddhist geeks I've listened to oh, for 10 years. Kevin. I... I'm an amateur Buddhist. I'm like focused on my technology uh, career and in my family. And the fact that you've mm -hmm. made Buddhism accessible to me has been really meaningful to me. And so I hope that we can pay it forward by, by working together on this. Great. Thank you, Kevin. That's um, really kind words and I'm taking it in, appreciating it. And um, I, I do too. That's my hope that something can come of this. That's uh, that's helpful for people. Great. One last shill. Uh, Bitly slash Sangodao is where we're all hanging out. Hope to see you there. Yeah. Come, come say hi. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.